In the ancient world, the attitude of men towards women was abysmal. Just listen to some of these awful examples from Greco-Roman writers who lived around the period of the first century. Women are the worst plague Zeus made. Do not talk much with a woman, not even one's wife. The two best days in a woman's life come when someone marries her and when he carries her body to the grave. That last one is not comedy. It is not satire. It is simply abuse and it's horrendous. The famous Greek philosopher Aristotle, who lived in the 4th century BC, insisted that in all respects women were inferior to men. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, and a constant source of sin and temptation. And as a consequence of these prominent views, women ended up being minimally educated and seen as second-class citizens. They could not vote. They could not be witnesses in court. They could not own or inherit property. And sadly, these views became embedded in most countries around the world. For centuries, women have been treated badly by men. Prejudice and inequality became embedded in every layer and aspect of society. Women have truly suffered. And all men today have a duty to recognise that. In recent years, things have begun to change. Great efforts are being made to get women into the upper echelons of business and government. Equal prize money is beginning to be awarded in sport. The Me Too movement is challenging gender-based violence and many high-profile men have rightly been put in prison. And I'm sure that there is much more to be done in all these respects. There is, though, a note of caution that is beginning to be sounded. I report this only tentatively because I'm aware of the history that I've just mentioned. But this week I read an article making the suggestion that it is harder than ever to be a boy. Many young men are growing up in a world of broken homes where their natural father has gone for good and a succession of other men have come and gone since. And these young men have very few good male role models. All their teachers at school are women and all the men on TV and in film are either idiots or abusers. And the message that they're picking up from the current political movements is that as men... They are part of the problem with the world. They must almost apologise for the testosterone in their system. And while recognising the great weight of harm done to women over the centuries, this article was trying to point out that many boys and young men are now growing up disillusioned with their own bodies. Many turn to gangs or drugs. Many die young. I know I'm on dangerous ground here. I know this issue is hugely emotive. All I'm trying to point out is that the battle between the sexes is still raging in our world. Human being is cast against human being 
purely because of their gender. Surely there must be a better way. As Christians, we believe 100% that there is. We believe that the creator God has laid out for all to see the best way for male-female relationships to be conducted. In fact, not just male-female relationships, but all of our relationships with other people. What is this golden piece of advice? Well, we read it in the very first verse of our reading. Ephesians 5.21 states, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the next part of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul is going to explain how that advice relates to many different aspects of our lives. Our relationships with our children and our parents. Our relationships with our employers and those who work for us. But first of all, Paul relates that instruction to marriage. And that's what we're going to think about today. Over the next few minutes, all of us who are married are going to be challenged to think about the attitudes we hold towards our spouse. Those of us who are not married, we will be invited to think about how we view members of the opposite sex and will be encouraged to pray for those who are in Christian marriage. And I can tell you from experience that Christian spouses need all the prayer that they can get. So let's hear that verse again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What follows on from that verse is some of the most misunderstood and most often abused writing in all of Paul's letters. Let's have a go at untangling it and getting to the really good advice for our relationships. I'm going to use that opening verse as the key to our exploration. We'll keep coming back to it. But I want to begin by digging into the opening word. What does it really mean to submit to another person? The first thing that we need to grasp is that submission is not the same as obedience. Despite what Western marriage vows have told us for centuries, Paul does not go on from here to call wives to obey their husbands. He calls for them to submit to them. Now, what is the difference, you may ask? Well, the difference is this. You can obey someone without ever submitting to them. Submission is much broader than obedience. It's not made up of a one-off action. It is an attitude of heart and mind. To submit to someone requires you to fully let go of your sense of being in control and your ongoing desire to be dominant. In our world, obedience can be coerced or forced. Powerful people have used violence and threat to do that since time began. But submission cannot be forced. In fact, submission cannot be commanded at all. It can only be voluntarily offered. 
Notice how in the verses that follow, the husband is never commanded to make his wife submit to him. The issue at stake here is not about the exercising of authority at all. So unlike obedience, submission must always be voluntary. But it must also be comprehensive. It is possible to obey someone while holding back other parts of your heart and mind. You might think to yourself, well, I'll obey you on this issue, but I'm going to fiercely resist you on everything else. That is not submission. In verse 24, Paul encourages wives to submit to their husbands in everything. And that means that a wife should cultivate an attitude of affirming and supporting and respecting her husband's leadership without holding back certain areas where she wants to reassert or maintain control. Submission is voluntary and it's comprehensive. Now already I can feel the simmering tensions developing as we listen to this. So far as I've tried to define the word submit and started to apply it to a wise role in marriage, I seem to have only made matters worse. Because submission is even more demanding on a wife than obedience is. Even though that submission can never be forced. So how can this teaching possibly help us in the battle between the sexes that we began by thinking about? After all, nothing is more likely to arouse anger and protest in today's world than the instruction to a woman to submit. And with all the horrors of history, there's good reason for that. But this is where Paul has been so badly misunderstood. So many people have not taken the time to notice what he really says in these verses. And here is the key to understanding the whole of this challenging passage. Everything Paul asks of the wife, he asks of the husband too. Submission is mutual. Let's return back to that very important opening verse. What was it Paul said? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. In other words, the husband also submits to the wife. And as we saw from those opening quotes, full as they were of toxic misogyny, that instruction was radically countercultural to the world that Paul was writing into in the first century. So let's turn to think a little bit more about this. As I've tried to make clear, in the ancient world, people believed that women were to obey and men were to rule. But Paul doesn't even get close to asking that of his readers. He says that the husband and wife are to submit to one another. And notice how Paul does this. In order to stress the dramatic challenge that he is laying down against the society of his day, he uses very particular language. In the following verses of our passage, Paul says that wives must submit to their husbands, while husbands must love their wives. Why does he do that? 
Why does he say to men, you are to love, when the opening verse of this reading clearly sees that as the equivalent to the command, submit. And the mistake that people have made reading this passage is to think that Paul's command to the husbands to love their wives is somehow a lower standard to the command to the wives to submit to their husbands. But it isn't. If anything, it's the reverse. Let me explain. Paul believes that male and female are different. Husbands and wives are different biologically, emotionally, physically, and therefore they naturally take on different roles in life. But in marriage, male and female are to be absolutely equal. Husbands and wives are to complement and complete each other in such a way they become one. But that teaching was so unexpected by Paul's audience, he has to put extra emphasis on the role of the husband to make it clear. If you look in these verses, there's far more time spent on the role of the husband than there is on the role of the wife. In the ancient world, husbands had relatively few obligations beyond providing food and shelter. In many ways, they were free to do as they pleased. Whereas wives were obligated to do a whole host of domestic chores, and then on top of that, any whim and fancy that their husbands required. And Paul is doing everything he can to challenge that worldview. Paul believes that husbands, rather than being guided by pure self-interest, are to place the well-being of their wives first and foremost. Husbands are to give everything they have for the care of their women. When Paul calls a husband to love his wife, the word he's using there is agape, the highest form of love. He's not talking about wishy-washy feelings. He's not talking about romance. He's talking about a lifetime of conscious choices. Choices that are dedicated to seeing their wife flourish. In verse 23, Paul describes the husband as the head of his wife. And in this passage, that is not a comment about authority, as if the husband is the boss of the wife. It's a comment about responsibility. A Christian husband is responsible for his wife. A Christian husband has the responsibility to love his wife, to give himself to his wife, to nurture his wife. And so the priority that Paul places on the husband is not for his own benefit at all. It is for the benefit of the wife he is responsible for. And that teaching was completely contrary to how the Gentile world understood marriage. So Paul calls on husbands to love their wives rather than just submit to them because he's trying to massively raise the bar of what was expected of the husband. So how does this change our understanding of this passage? Well, in verse 33, wives are called to respect their husbands. A wife is to respect her husband, but not out of fear, not out of terror, 
but because she knows her husband is doing everything he can to see her grow and flourish. In a Christian marriage, it says husbands and wives are one. It would be utterly perverse to hinder the other. If you damage your spouse, you damage yourself. So Paul calls on wives to submit to their husbands, not out of coercion, but out of free choice. And the wife is to comprehensively submit, but she is not submitting to an abuser, but to a lover. A lover who is equally submitted to her. And this is a form of mutual submission between husband and wife that leads to joy and growth for both parties. When Paul says submit to one another, he knows he is making an extraordinary, a radical call. There were no marriages like that in the ancient world. This is totally new. And Paul knew that if Christians began to live like this, they would create a beacon for a whole new way of living, the way of God's kingdom. Now, I'm sure some of us are still struggling with this a little bit. This is tough. I find it difficult. And that's because fully and wholeheartedly submitting to another human being goes against all of our inclinations. As fallen human beings, we are often far too selfish to behave like this. And in the 21st century, it's got even harder. We live in this age of supposed liberation where we think everybody should be serving us. So why does Paul think ultimately that we are to behave in this way? Well, let's return to that important opening verse one more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Paul wants us to understand that our submission to our marriage partners is part of our submission to Jesus as Lord. For husbands and wives to submit to one another is part of what it is to follow Christ's example on earth. In fact, to refuse to submit to one another is to disrespect Christ. Paul believes that in every Christian marriage, Christ is present. He is present as saviour. He is there in it, wanting to help us in the tough times. And he is there as Lord, holding us to account on how we treat our spouse. And this is the same saviour that came into the world, not to be served, but to serve. The same Lord who made himself nothing, purely for our benefit. Jesus is the pattern for marriage. His teaching is to govern our relationships today. As we read through the Gospels, we find that Jesus lived a life of, of grace and love and self-effacing service. And these are to be the qualities found in our marriages. Husbands and wives are to be humble and gentle. They are to quickly forgive one another. They are to be patient with one another's faults. They are to love through thick and thin. These are the hallmarks of a Christ-like marriage. 
And on the other hand, anything that is incompatible with the life of Christ, as we read it in the Gospels, must be quickly removed from our marriages. Anything that smacks of abusive authoritarianism or violence or selfishness, we've got to get rid of it. Now it may be that we're sat here thinking, well hang on a minute, how can Jesus be the example for my marriage when he himself was never married? Well, on the one hand, that is true. But this is where Paul's writing in these verses becomes the most beautiful. Because Paul says that Jesus is married to his people. He is the husband of the church. And the church became the Messiah's bride, not by being dragged off unwillingly by force, but because Jesus came and gave himself totally and utterly for her. There was nothing that love could do for God's people that Jesus did not do for us. He submitted, the Lord of all submitted everything he had for our benefit. And so for a passage that on first glance is just practical instructions for marriage, we suddenly discover that the cross is looming large over everything that is written here. Jesus' death on the cross was an act of complete self-abandoning love. Jesus' death on the cross brought forgiveness and purity and blessing into our lives. Jesus' death on the cross has cleared our path of all that hinders us so that we can grow and flourish as God's people. And here Paul says, that is how husbands and wives are to love one another. With Christ-like, cross-shaped love. We couldn't do any more, and we are to aim for nothing less. Essentially, a husband can only expect his wife to submit to him if he is prepared to die for her. And wives would want to submit to their husbands if they knew that was truly the case. Paul believes if we can love our spouse with this Christ-like affection, our marriage will become like a beacon of light to our neighbours. It will become like this mysterious sign pointing towards what God has done for his people and all the love that he continues to lavish upon the world. So to conclude, Paul's instruction to us was this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission really is the best way for male and female to live together. It really is the healthiest and most effective way to live. Mutual, voluntary, wholehearted submission in marriage honours God and worships Christ who went to the cross. And so for Christians, maintaining our marriages is the most effective act of witness and evangelism we will ever make. And it's also the biggest contribution we can make to a world where the war between the sexes is still going on. So if we're listening to this as a married couple, let's make the effort again to invest in our marriages 
to show affection, to offer forgiveness, to make time for each other, to champion our spouses. If we're not married, let's pray for those who are. May the marriages of Christians on Isla shine in this community. And may we all treat members of the opposite sex in the same way that Jesus treated us. For that is the response of worship that Paul is calling us to here.